indeed. Pastor Kerry, thank you for starting the new series, One Another. How many are ready to go on that journey? One another. And so he started with love one another. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And while you're doing that, also turn to the book of John 13 for me, would you as well? Just kind of get there. And uh, Pastor Kerry started the series about love one another. And we're going through the one another's through the scripture. One another's where it talks about one another. This is so important. The basis for all the one another's is the 11th commandment, if you will, where Jesus said, love one another. You can't do the rest of the one another's till you start walking in the first part of it, love one another. And so we're gonna go through these one another's, and I want you to uh, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 with me just for a moment. It says this. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. It's not about getting saved. It's also about what I do to serve. And how does that look? It says, let us motivate one another. I want to talk about motivating one another to acts of love and good works. How many know we, we live in a uh, culture where being number one is very important? Being number one, I'm telling you, being number one, whether it's Super Bowls, whether it's March Madness, whether it's business, whether you're at school, let's be number one. We live in a culture, number one. We're very competitive people. We're very competitive people. And it's all about, we're number one. Be number one. Look out for number one. And then you have Jesus coming along and says, don't look out for number one. Look out for another. It's always about love is always going beyond you and goes to another. Because that's the kingdom. Jesus just blows up everything, doesn't don't you? He just, I wish he'd just leave us alone, but he blows up everything, doesn't he? Because that's what the kingdom culture does. That's what Jesus does. And he says, wait a minute, everybody's number one, be number one, we're number one. He says, I want you to look for another. Not number one, look for another. So he says, in the kingdom, it, it's inside out, it's upside down. It's if, 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 if you, if you want to go up, you got to come down. You want to be the greatest? Who wants to be? I want to be the greatest church. And he said, then be the least. You want to be number one, Sam? Yep, then be last. Isn't that crazy? He's always doing this. If you, you, you want to be the leader of the church? Then you better serve. I mean, he is always doing this, and the basis for it is love. And Pastor Kerry took us to that last week. He didn't. How many of you really enjoyed all of those that spoke for us and ministered to us? I'm telling you, just absolutely bless me. They all did so good. I was concerned Pastor Danny wasn't going to show up, but he did. I was so, so excited. <laughs> I got to move on. Pastor Danny, he's watching probably too, aren't you, buddy? But when you look at the book of John, the key to the book of John, the key word is love. Everybody say love. So there may be some of you that have a real convoluted 
idea of what love is because it, it may be all driven by I love you if you'll let me have your body. I love you if you make the good grade. I'll tell you how proud I am when you finally get achievement in this position. So love is just really twisted, convoluted. We don't really understand it. So Jesus said, here's the deal. I'm not going to just, I, I'm not just going to show you love. I am, I am love. This is it. This is what love looks like. It's me. And so he goes a little deeper, but in the book of John, it's really crazy about the book of John because love is the key word. And if you study the book of John, if you're a new convert, let me tell you, the first place you will start is read the book of John. So I, where do I start? Just start reading the book of John. When you look at the book of John, have you noticed that in the first 12 chapters, the word love is mentioned six times. But when you hit chapter 13, chapter 13 through 17, that chapter 13 is where I want you to land, Chapter 13 through 17, the word love is mentioned 31 times. For chapters 1 through 12 is talking about the earthly, it's the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, but chapter, 12, chapter 13 through 17 is the last few hours of Jesus. You think it's four days, you think it's four months. No, chapter 13 through 17 is the last few hours of Jesus. And he knows he's getting ready to be murdered. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows what's getting ready to happen. And what does he do? He intensifies 31 times this word love. It's kind of like the end times. When you know things are starting to get more intensified toward an end, it's like a funnel. Things accelerate and things intensify. You get in a funnel, the top of the funnel, when you pour the liquid in, you don't see much happening on the top. But as it goes down through that narrow passage of the funnel, things start to accelerate. A vortex starts happening. Things start intensifying, happening more rapid. And so Jesus is coming at you. See, when you look at the earth, don't get nervous. Get excited about what's happening. Things are intensifying because it's leading up to something great. It's leading up to something great. And Jesus, as painful as the crucifixion, knew something powerful was happening. And so as he's getting to the last few hours, what was only said six times John recorded in his life of ministry, he now intensifies in the last few hours with 31 times saying, you guys better get this, believers. He's intensifying this. And he gets closer and closer and closer like a funnel. So here's what he does. When Hebrews admonishes us, to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, Jesus shows us what acts of love and good works look like. In fact, when he does the act of love, you're just looking at the act and you're not looking deeper to what he's really trying to point at. And John 13 is a fascinating passage of Jesus' story, the last few hours. I mean, just think about it. It's the last few hours of Jesus going to the cross. You know what's getting ready to happen, right? He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be tried. He's going to be sentenced. Then he's going to be cursed. And then they're going to clear their sinuses and spit in his face. The very son of God. Then they're going to take a cat of nine tails, a whip with bone and steel in it. And they're going to swing across his back until they rip the flesh so that it's exposed. 39 times. They're going to beat him. And then they're going to mock him again. And then they're going to torture him, and then they're going to murder him on a cross. And what does he use as the last lesson? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they don't record it. John records it. What is the last act lesson why he's intensifying about love? What is the last thing he wants to do? Give a pedicure. You're going to wash feet. 
So if he's really intensifying, it's the most serious thing, what is all of this about? He decides to wash their feet. Wow. He acts out the kingdom life, and he acts out, this is what acts of love and good works looks like for the creator of the world that put on flesh. Love looks a whole lot like serving. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for all of us. Wow. He starts showing that in my kingdom, it sure looks a whole lot like serving. And boy, you just don't get to serve the people you like sometimes. Mm -mm -mm -mm. So let's go to that passage. Fascinating. Just fascinating. Let's go to John 13. <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. We're going to kind of skip around this story a little bit. <clears throat> but I want to really get this to you today. It says, before the celebration, Jesus knew. Can everybody say those two words out loud? <clears throat> Jesus knew. He knew that his hour had come to leave this world and to return to his father. <clears throat> And he loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It intensifies. Do you know God's love for us is intensifying all the time? It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Going to betray him. Jesus, what? He knew. He knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Here's what Jesus knew. What Jesus knew drove him to what he did. Until you know who you are and whose you are and what you are, you can never do what you were truly designed to do, and that is to serve. So when so many people serve, whether it's in the world or whether it's here or sometimes in the church, is they really don't understand the purpose of serving. So here's the deal. When you know who you are and whose you are, you will serve with a purpose. Can you say that with me real quick? Serve don't let, me, don't, don't let me do it alone. Let's say that out. Serve with a purpose. And what does he do? He goes to the feet to make his point. Now the feet, I mean, the feet, that's pretty cool. You think about your feet and your ankle just for a moment. Look, look at I mean, just your feet and your ankle. It's a very complex mechanical structure, very strong. Think about this just for a moment. Do you know that that, your feet, your, your foot and your ankle, your feet and ankles, did you know that they have one foot has 26 bones, 33 joints, over 100 muscles and tendons and ligaments. And what do they do? They bear all the weight of your body and they cause locomotion for your body. And that's why people say when your feet hurt, your whole body hurts. I don't understand it. Your whole body hurts. I mean, because why? Because it's bearing all the weight of the body and moving the body. That's why it hurts. That's why it hurts. I still don't understand, ladies, how you, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't understand how you wear high heels. What do they call those stilettos? 
I'm so glad that fashion statement never made it to men. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> I could really see some of you dudes doing construction work in stilettos. I think it'd look really charming. <clears throat> <clears throat> Here's the deal. The feet are very important. You take away your feet, your feet hurt. Locomotion is gone. It's gone. Movement is gone because it's bearing all the weight. And here's the reality. The locomotion of the gospel rests on the feet of serving. If it's going to move forward, it's got to rest on the heart of serving and loving people. That's why Romans 10, 15 says, how, and how will anyone go and tell? How will there ever be motivation? How can we go tell people? How can we minister to me in Ukraine? How can we minister next door? How can we do city serve? How can we do servant evangelism? How can we do any of it unless we go and we tell? There's got to be movement in the body. Somebody's got to be serving. How do we go and tell them about without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how what? Beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. The heart of the kingdom is serving. And here's why Jesus could do it and why some believers don't do it. Jesus could do it because Jesus knows who he is. And that he, that's why he does what he does. Because you cannot truly serve. And some people serve, but they really don't know who they are. They always want to be given accolade. They always want to be made sure they're made, people are made aware of what they do. Want to know, like the Pharisees, how much gift I get. Until you know who you are, you can't do what you're supposed to do. And because Jesus knows who he is, he does what he does. He knew what he knew determined what he did. I mean, just look at before washing the feet. Let's go to John 13, 3 again. Look at this. It says, he what? He knew. He knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and returned. Here's what the kingdom of God does in the culture Jesus was in. Here's what it does. When Jesus did that, it wasn't just about washing feet. What he actually did was he notices the unnoticed. He recognizes the powerless. And the powerless and the unnoticed were the slaves in that culture. The servants in that culture, we almost cringe when we invoke the word slave. But Jesus recognizes the people that had no power. They didn't have power in what they said. They didn't have power in what they were. They didn't have power in what they were doing. They were assigned to one thing. You get down and you wash the lowest part and the dirtiest part because that's what people who are nobodies do. And Jesus does this, and he takes that person's place, he does their task, and he blows up the idea that it's only nobody's that washes feet. What he does is, he says, this is what the creator of heaven that made you and even allows you to suck in air, the creator of this universe and you, this is what he does. He takes on the unnoticed and he takes nobodies who become somebodies and they do the work of a nobody because Jesus washes feet to go up and be glorified. <clears throat> See, because, and, and only secure people can really do that. <laughs> you gotta be pretty secure to get down as the son of God, the creator of the universe and go dig out a human's toe jam. 
you better be pretty secure. And because Jesus is secure in his position, then he could serve with a purpose. The reason why some people who have a lot of money never give it away is because their security is in their possessions so they never know how to use it right. They never can let go of it. When you're secure in who your provision is, then you can serve with your possessions. When you're secure in your position, then you can, you can serve with a purpose. And when you are secure in your position, then you don't struggle, watch this, you don't struggle with sharing your position, you don't struggle with sharing your possessions, and you have no problem sharing your power. When you are secure, you'll share your position, you share your possessions, and you will share your power. You don't believe it? That's why Paul says he made us to sit up in heavenly places. He says, go ahead, sit in my position with me when you come and you get redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. My God shall supply all your needs according to his rich glory. Go ahead, share my possessions. He gives you power. He says, and I give unto you the keys of the kingdom. Come on, he says that to you and me. He gives us possession, he gives power. When you are secure in who you are, you freely give your position, your power. See, this is the struggle of the disciples then, and this is the struggle of the disciple Sam. And this is the struggle of you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is always a challenge to surrender position, power, and possession. You don't believe me? I mean, come on, just look at this for a moment. Now remember this. Even his, his own followers had this issue. Watch this. Within a few minutes that the son of the living God says, I'm going to be crucified, within a few minutes, he's already washed their feet. He's telling them what's going on. A fight breaks out among the disciples within a few minutes of him just cleaning and washing their feet. Within a few minutes. Few minutes, the ink is not even dry on their notepads. Within a few minutes, they're arguing about which one of us is going to be the greatest. And he says, "What are you guys talking about? Are you, are you are you seeing this? I don't know. Did they forget something? Did they forget to open up the church app and put fill out the notes? And they lost their coolness. They lost it all. What happened to these guys? See, we think you go see." When you hear a message like it, oh, another message on serving. Oh, yeah, I've been around this church long enough. That's exactly the way they were. Within a matter of minutes of the small group dismissing, they are fighting and arguing over position, possessions, and power. And look what Jesus, it, it, he's going to the cross, everybody. He knows he's going to be crucified and murdered and crucified. And they're arguing within minutes after he washes their feet and says, this is what the creator does. He shows you that he takes nobodies, makes them somebodies. And somebody like me becomes like a nobody. And they're going, who's going to be the greatest? And look what Jesus says. Look at Luke 20. Look at Luke's account of it. Luke remembers the fight breaking out. Look what it says in verse 22, uh, verse 25 of Luke 22. It says, in this world, Jesus then looks at him and says, in this world, the kings and great people lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of people. In other words, the reason you're a friend is because what I can leverage for you. I serve you because there's going to be some benefit out of it for me if I do something for you. And you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's what kings and lords of this earthly realm do. But he says, but among you, among all of us disciples, 
you will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like, oh, say the word, servant. Now, it's really cool when you can bless somebody in the church. It's really cool when you can bless somebody that likes you. But what about a person that wants to kill you? Do you remember whose feet he washed? He washed Judas's feet. He doesn't get selective about whose feet he washes. And sometimes it's the person that maligned your character. Sometimes it's the person that did your kid wrong that God ends up using you to go down and wash their feet. Wow. You don't get to pick whose feet you get to wash. And Jesus says, but look, when you guys follow me, ladies, when you follow me, he says, don't you understand you become royalty? Just like me, you become royalty. But with that royalty, when you know who you are, there's an outcome of what you do. When you get it, you start serving people around you, people you don't know, whether it's the Ukraine, whether it's a neighbor, whether you bring something from City Serve through our pod, whether you go help a neighbor kid, whether you mentor, don't you realize that there's something coming out of you? Whether you give an offering, there's something going out of you that shows my glory? You become royalty. That's why First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says... <clears throat> For you are a chosen people. You are a what kind of priesthood? Royal priest. A holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result of knowing who you are and who you belong to. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Because he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So here's my question. You've got to serve with a purpose. Here is the question. How do you use your power that you currently have? How are you leveraging the money and the possessions you have right now? How are you leveraging the position you have right now? You, you might be retired and become a mentor, a classroom buddy at one of the schools we serve with. How are you leveraging what you have right now? What are you doing with it? Because it's expressed by coming down and getting into people's lives. What do I use with it? You say, well, I don't have any, I don't have any, I'm 13. I have no authority. Oh yeah, you do. You got, there's a friend at school. There's a younger classmate that's watching you closely. How are you leveraging your power, your authority right now? What are you doing with your possessions right now? Jesus asked. And he says, come down into the lives of people. That's why Isaiah said, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Now that doesn't mean Jesus went around bawling and squalling all the time. You know, you meet some people, they're always just bawling and squalling all the time. Jesus not really, oh, life is so bad. He's not doing that. What it means is, man, as far as a quick, he would get into the pain. He would put on the towel. He would get down there where he knew the pain was. That's what he would do. That's what he'd do. Next Sunday, I'm going to bring something very transformational to this body. Very transformational for not just you, but transformational for somebody else. I'm going to share it with you next week. And it's going to be very powerful. All of you that are at home, I want you to do everything in your power to watch next Sunday or be in the house because it's something that's going to change your life and somebody's life. But before we do that, this leading up to next Sunday, I want to challenge you with something called the Matthew 25 Challenge where it actually 
you just for a little bit can just take a moment to get into somebody that doesn't quite have something. Maybe they, they don't have the meal we get to have. They don't have the water. They don't have the bed you get to have. And it's a Matthew 25 challenge. In fact, I want you to do something. Um, get your phones out real quick. I'm doing it on my iPad. Just do this real quick. I want you to text the word GRFM25 to 56170. It's the Matthew 25 challenge, and it's going to show you tomorrow what you want to do. How many got one of these when you walked in the door? Okay, just look at it just for a moment. Like Monday, I want you to know what it's like to skip a lunch and then break your fast with tomorrow you're going to eat rice and beans. Tuesday, drink only water. Now, some of you may think, no big deal. Oh, not if you're hooked up to the IV at the coffee pot at the office. It's, oh, it's not that easy. But I want you just for a moment, I want you to see this video. And this coming week, I want you to join the Matthew 25 challenge. And your kids can do this. And when you download this, there's stuff for your kids to do, even your smallest of children. So they can part. You can share with them. This is what it's like just to take on the form of a servant to see where they feel that they can be elevated. So watch the video for a moment. Then the king would say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you give me something to eat. I was thirsty and you give me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invited you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Matthew 25 challenge was a transformational moment for my family and I. There's one particular day when the challenge was to sleep on the floor. And I walked by my daughter's room, and she was already there on her sleeping bag reading her Bible. The Matthew 25 challenge was an incredibly spiritual experience for me personally. God was teaching us different things every day and sharing it with each other was really exciting. Well, when it came to the Water Day Challenge, three words come to mind, caffeine, withdrawal, headaches. Going without coffee all day was a lot harder than I thought. I would get these headaches, but every time I did, it would remind me of the six kilometer walk that women and children have to do to get unclean water. My first thought was, this will be easy. I grew up missing meals and sleeping on the floor, but my daughters, not so much. They were challenged to come out of their Wi-Fi life and actually experience what kids around the world experience every single day. All right, how many are ready to take that challenge to see how that is, amen? Do like Jesus, and we're gonna do that. And you know what, friends? This is what Jesus did. Because he knew who he was, he, he could do what he did. And when you're secure in your position, remember that, then you can serve with a purpose. Here's the problem. 
we get out of our position. So I'm going to encourage you, not just to serve with a purpose, but you've got to stay in your position with Christ. Now, let me just say something on the outset when it comes to serving. Because now we're just gonna, I'm going to pitch this just a little bit because I'm going to go a little deeper what Jesus is saying here. Serving does not give you position with Christ. Serving is a reflection of your position. There's somehow we start getting into works like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that now we do works and we serve people so everybody can see because we've really lost our position and now it's all about manipulating people. You do not serve your way into position. Your position comes from one thing, believing and receiving what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross and that settles it all. How many of you thank God it is done. It is not about doing, doing, doing. It is done, done, done. So Jesus wants you to know, listen, some of you don't even know Jesus Christ. Some of you watching online, you don't even know Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that Jesus wants you to know your position before he ever wants you to know your purpose? He always wants you to know your value before he, he wants you to know your vocation. Because we've got people in churches that do, but think that their value is connect, connected to their doing. So they're just doing, 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 and never become what God wants them to be, a child loved by God. That's why you are called human beings, not human doings. And most people don't know who they can be, so they never do what they're really intended to do. That's what Jesus said in John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. He calls them my sheep. He's always talking about knowing who you are before you talk about what you're supposed to do. He wants that. And the only way you can do that is by staying in position in covenant. Day, that prophetic word daily. Communion with God. It's not about one time taking the, 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 the grape juice and taking the wafer and doing one thing in the church or showing up at church. It is about daily Daily staying connected to the one that gives you your position. That's what it's about. And if you don't stay in position, watch this, listen close to this. Please hear me, believers. This is what Jesus is talking to the disciple about when he's washing feet. He says, if you don't stay in position with Christ, you will stray from your position with Christ. Position comes from believing and receiving what he did, not by your performance. That's why Titus 3.5, I love it. I just love it. He says this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, the doing, but according to his mercy, he saved us, watch this, through the washing of regenerate. How many thank God he washed all our sins away? We became brand new. He regenerated us. The DNA of sin is gone. He regenerated us. And by the renewing of the Holy Spirit. This is very interesting to me. This is very interesting to me. He washes us, but he says, renewing keeps you remaining in that position. It's like abiding in the vine, he says. Staying connected to the Father, never disconnecting him. Because when you don't stay in position, you will eventually stray from the position until you actually betray who he is. So Jesus wants to wash feet, okay? He wants to wash feet. And then Simon protests. I love his protest. It's a little weird. Verse 8, John 13, look at this. No, Peter protested. You will never wash my feet. Why? Because nobody's do that. 
You will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. You've got to be washed by the blood of Jesus. What I'm going to do at the cross, you've got to be washed by me. But then Simon Peter exclaimed, well, then wash my hands, wash my head as well. Jesus, not just my feet. <laughs> Jesus replied, I'm just going, okay, you're being a little creepy now, Peter, okay? You're being a little creepy. You want me to give you a whole bath? You want me to bathe you, sponge you down? Is that what you want in here? Little creepy on Lincoln. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need washing, except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. And I even serve the one that I know is not clean. He said, you've been bathed. You've been washed as disciples. But you better be careful of something, disciples. How lovely are the feet of those? Sometimes you're allowing the dirt of the world to get on the feet of those who are my messengers. And your dirt is turning off a world. So stay regenerated, renewed in communion to keep the dirt of the world off your feet because if you don't, stay in position, you will stray from your position. And one betrayed him. The dirt of the world can get on your feet even for those who've been saved. I've always sat there and wondered, have you ever read that Roman scripture, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie? How, how could it get so convoluted and twisted? I am telling you that in the culture which the believers always lived in, there was always this challenge of the believer being washed completely and then allowing the dirt to get on their feet, but never washing their feet and getting clean to stay entirely clean. They never deal with the dirty feet and as a result, they start straying further. I always wondered, how does that happen? Have you, have you ever sat there where you know somebody used to be on fire for the Lord and now has gone wheels off and has nothing to do with Jesus Christ and betrays them? Well, it happened to Jesus. It happened, it happened in his small group. How in the world could it get so twisted that the enemy can twist your mind? And I thought, you know, I think it, it's pretty easy to get done. I'm wondering how the theology today has gotten so twisted that what Jesus said in plain English gets so convoluted that people say, that's not what he meant at all. And walking into sin. But I, you can do it. In fact, I did it this week and I thought, let me try this. So I, can, I discovered that I can actually turn black into white and white into black. I can. So I took my Oxford, it's, you know, it's, it's reliable. My Oxford American Writer's Thesaurus. So I thought, I'm going to look up the word black. So I looked up the word black. And when I looked up the word black, oh, here it is. It means dark. So I looked up dark. I did my research. I looked up dark, and the definition is gloomy. So I looked up gloomy. And uh, as I looked up gloomy, gloomy meant dim. So I looked up dim. And I looked up dim, and dim means pale. So I looked up pale, and pale is white. <laughs> Just like that. Make something white, start making it pale, start making it dim, start making it gloomy, start making it dark. 
and I can actually turn what is right and make it look like a hater. I can actually make you look like a hater in this culture. And then I can take something where Jesus says, no, 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 no. The reason I'm telling you no is because there's so much blessing over here. So stay, stay connected with me on this issue. With your sexuality, with your finances, with your thought life. But then all of a sudden, we just heard so much about this new series on Netflix. We just got to watch it. And the dirt starts getting on you a little bit. Or it's in business. Well, everybody does that, man. Come on. And you're a believer. You're a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And it becomes that little gray area. It becomes dim and then dim becomes, you know, pale and it becomes dim and then it we start justifying things that easy to exchange the truth of God into a lie. You know, I've been to Thailand many times doing missions crusade in Vietnam. We helped open a, uh, start an orphanage there. And, and I was told an instruction before I preached or I interacted with the the Thai believers, especially in Eastern culture. We don't get it that much here in Western culture. We're not, we're not so big about feet, you know, only if we're getting a pedicure. But I was always told never to point the bottom of your foot at anybody in an Eastern culture. In Thailand, the East, feet were a big deal. Never to sit like this. Don't ever sit like this and point your foot at somebody. It is highly, highly offensive. And the reason it's so offensive, it's the lowest part of your body that picks up all the filth of the day. And then you're pointing it at that person as the dirt of my feet, the lowest part, the dirt of my feet is of higher value than your life. And it's offensive. Still in some most culture today, you never point the bottom of your foot at anybody. Now it's not a big deal to us here in America you know, we cross our legs, put them there, we do everything. We prop them up on the lazy boy recliner and point them right at our son-in-law. <laughs> and now it's even got more purpose for you now. You're going, now I really got it. So it doesn't make any big deal to us what happens in the Middle East or Thailand. It doesn't bug us. But I wonder if the spiritual reality of it has happened in America. Could it be the reason why so many unbelievers are turned off from American Christianity? It's because so many of us have been washed and given our life to Jesus Christ. But we fail to deal with what we have made gloomy, pale, dim, or dark in our lives and exchanged it. And your friends say, that's what you are. And you want me to go to your youth group, your young adults? Wait a minute, you want me to do, ma'am, you want me to sign this business deal with you and, wait a minute, you actually, you actually are going to take the position, the power and the possessions you have and say, think about, look out for number one when you have the power to help another one. How many believe, folks, that judgment does begin in the house of God? 
And how many believe that we as the body of Christ need to say, Lord, we're not gonna sit here and live in legalism, but we sure are gonna allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us about the things that get attached to our feet when we go through this culture so that it always keeps us in a position so that we can always serve and glorify you with a purpose and always step down and serve. So you know what I say, Lord? Why don't you start with the pastor of this church and say, Holy Spirit, wash my feet so I'll always come down and we can wash somebody else's in whatever way you want us to do it. How many are ready to be motivated to acts of love and good deeds?